Good morning. Thank you for the warm welcome. It's an absolute joy and a privilege to be here. I bring you greetings from Sri Lanka, from our church, Kitu Sevena, that has partnered with you for nearly, well, over two decades now. Thank you for your friendship and love and doing ministry and life together from 15,000 miles away. I'm especially thankful to Sean, his friendship. He's like an older brother to me. He has walked through with me in different crucial moments of my life. And you as a church, uh, from the time we had the tsunami in Sri Lanka, the end of the civil war, various challenges of persecution for the church, we have done life together, the body of Christ together on this side of eternity, experienced in the fullness and the greatness of God as one. So thank you for being on this journey with us. I also want to bring greetings, especially from my parents, especially my mom, who was watching online. She might be still watching. Uh, she celebrated six years of being cancer-free uh, just last week. And uh, the doc she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, and the doctors didn't give her more than two weeks to live. It's been six years. God did a miracle. And we praise God for it. We s I remember praying. And the beauty of it was it was not just us praying in Sri Lanka, but there were people from here and across the world praying together with us. And what we said is, Lord, we know you can heal. If you heal, we'll praise you. If it's, you choose not to, we'll still praise you. We will continue to serve you as you have called. And he did what he wanted to do, and we praise him for that. And thank you for being part of that journey as well. So it's a privilege to preach here. I've been here from the time I was very young. I just came to your high school ministries to visit many times over my teenage years. And this is the first time I'm preaching here. So I need to make a few disclaimers. Number one, I am not a preacher. I'm a preacher's son. Number two, I am not a theologian. So if anything is going to be any good today, it's because God it will have his way. And it's because you are good at praying. So would you pray for me? So if this doesn't go well, it's all on you and your prayer life. We need to work on that. I am taking no responsibility for this, all right? So would you please pray for me and ask that the Lord will speak and his words will be shared and not mine. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. Lord, we love you from the depths of our heart and we seek to honor you and we seek to be obedient to what you have called us to do. Lord, we don't want to live lives anything shorter than what you have called us to Lord, we don't want to go through life just stuck in our own selfish ambition and our own mess. But Lord, looking up and seeing what you would want us to do. And Lord, living for others. Lord, we know that we are blessed to be a blessing. So Lord, teach us how to humble ourselves and walk on this journey. And Lord, I pray that the words that I speak will not be my own, but will be yours to your beloved children. Lord, I pray for less of me and more of you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you take over now. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. So as you heard, we're from the island nation of Sri Lanka. It's an island the size of the state of West Virginia. But with 22 million people. We're packed in there. It's a beautiful island. In fact, Lonely Planet just named Sri Lanka as the number one tourist destination for 2019. But unfortunately, the country has struggled with cycles of violence. Some numbers estimate that in the 71 years of being independent from British rule, we have had over half a million people die in violent conflict. It's been brutal around ethnic lines, along religious lines, political ideology, you name it, there has been bloodshed. 
There's been a lot of injustice in the society, in a war, post-war context. There's a harassment and the abuse of women, poverty, corruption. Those are challenges that our nation, in the darkness we can see that we need to overcome. At the same time, the Christian community is less than 2% of the population, and with the Catholics, altogether we're about 9% of the population. And it's definitely a minority. And rural parts of the country, extremist groups, have continued to attack and persecute churches. In this kind of context, my dad had the brilliant idea of becoming a full-time pastor. And not just sticking where it was safe and comfortable in the city or the country, he wanted to go to the rural areas and share the glory of the gospel. And so we constantly lived with this insecurity of knowing there won't be any justice, it's not safe, we're persecuted, we're, we're nobodies. And to top all that off, I'm not just part of the smallest religious group, I'm also the smallest ethnic group in the country. So I grew up with this inferiority complex of saying, Lord, I'm an absolute nobody. I come from an island most people don't know of. I'm the smallest ethnic group and the smallest religious group of this country. You can see where I have insecurity issues. And so we would come to church and we would, would sing these great songs of, our, of God's glory and how we had loved us. But for me, like, I, I didn't feel that meant anything for us. Maybe not us. But then I read this scripture that I'm going to focus on today that, that had a transforming impact on my life and the way that I looked at my own identity. So if you would, uh, turn with me to uh, the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter's talking to the New Testament church, and he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once... You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like I said, Peter's speaking to a New Testament church. And I thought, well, that's all good, but in my context in Sri Lanka, where we're nobodies, I'm not a royal priesthood, I'm not a holy people, I'm just, we're just hanging out here. We can't do much. But when you really start looking into history, Peter was speaking to the New Testament church who were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. They were living in fear and insecurity. And to those people, Peter was speaking out saying, wake up, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Some of the New Testament said, are you kidding me? Where did we just say we almost died yesterday? <laughs> They're killing our people and in those massive Colosseums. They're letting the lions eat us. Chosen people, royal priesthood, are you sure? But Peter wasn't saying this, well, if you are the majority religious group in your country, if you are affluent and safe and privileged, then you are a royal priesthood, a chosen. No, he doesn't say that. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if his spirit is in you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are the children of God. It doesn't have a qualifier saying, depends on the circumstances and your mood and attitude at the time, you may be a... No, you are a royal priesthood, God's chosen people. And Satan would do whatever he can to keep that truth away from us because he knows if we come to grips with who we really are, we're not going to take the darkness that continues to invade in our societies. We walk with confidence and authority knowing, I am a child of the living God. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you and me. Jesus is our Lord. Why am I overwhelmed? 
Yes, I'm a minority of minorities. Yes, my finances are not great. Yes, there's persecution. But yes, God is sovereign. He's seated on the throne. And his spirit is in you and is in me. And that is the joy of knowing that we are children of God. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but accept the unconditional gift of God's love and grace. And I also started reading the words of Paul to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul tells Timothy, who may have been struggling with an inferiority complex as well, part Greek, part Jew, living during the hall of fame of Christianity in the New Testament with the Pauls and the James and the Peters. Timothy said, okay, I'm just a backbencher here. I'm just laying low. Paul, as he usually does, calling him out, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Another version says the spirit within you is not a spirit of timidity, but it's a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. This timidity has overwhelmed us at times. We have forgotten who we are. And then Paul has to remind like he reminded Timothy saying, hey, the spirit in you is a spirit of power. What's this power? In the Greek, it's dunamis. That's how we get the word in English, dynamite. Explosive power inhibiting mere mortals, the power of an extraordinary God, the supernatural power of God within us because Jesus is in us. Like I said, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. That's the power of God. Why are we stuck in fear and timidity? And then he goes on to say, it's not just power, but it's love. And this is the agape love, the unconditional love that Christ showed on the cross of Calvary. That kind of capacity to love is what he had poured into us, his children. An ability to love our enemies, ability to love even without knowing that there's nothing coming back, to love unconditionally with so much grace. This is the kind of love that blows me away when I go to our pastors whose churches have been burned down, they've been beaten up, and they still have love for those who burnt their church. I'm like, this is very biblical, but how are you doing this? (laughs) I wish I was there. Like, No, that's the spirit within us. A spirit of fear does not give you the capacity to love like that. A spirit of fear does not give you the capacity to love even when you know it not, might not be reciprocated. To love even when they're enemies and they hate you and they want you dead, but to still love them. That's what's defined the church of Jesus Christ. They've tried to kill. They've tried to burn. They've tried to dis- defame. But the love keeps loving because Jesus loved on the cross like that. That's who we are. We're not offended and hurt and angry and we want to hit you back. That's not Christ-like. We want to love you more. Keep, keep at it. We'll love you more. And one day you'll be overwhelmed to know this is supernatural. This is the love of Jesus Christ. And then he says the spirit of a sound mind. In a world where anything goes, just suit your fantasies and your desires. Whatever you want, just go ahead and do it. The spirit of the Lord helps us to say, I am set apart for God's purposes. I want to live a holy life, not what I want. I'm surrendering all to his will and to live holy unto him. The spirit of fear is afraid of what you might miss out in the world, but the spirit of God is a sound mind. You know who you are, what you are called for, and the purposes of your life are far beyond you and your desires. It's for something eternal in God's kingdom. That's the spirit that he has given us. So we may be ordinary people, but we have been anointed by a spirit of an extraordinary God. The God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is seated on the throne, who is sovereign over all things. He is your God. He is your Father. He is in you and me.
So it was time for me to repent. Lord, no more excuses. No more demeaning my own spirit and my own life. If you truly died on the cross of Calvary for my sins and I accepted you, then I better start living like a child of God. And not like somebody who has no authority, no grace, no power to respond to the brokenness of our world, to go share the glory of God's gospel. If it's such a big deal, how can I keep it to myself? I need to share with those who do not know. I said, Lord, for the rest of my life, I will not make any more excuses. Please help me to be faithful. And it kind of, I, I really wanted to break away from this mindset of, I'm not just trying to survive my way through Christianity. Just be a Christian survivor. Life is tough, so I'm just going to hold on and just get through it. No, we're not meant to be survivors. We were meant to thrive. We were meant to be a blessing unto others. It was not about us. We were thriving to be a blessing to others. And this kind of hit home when I first watched the first American reality TV show that came to Sri Lanka. It was called... The Survivors. Survivor was a very confusing show for many of us in Sri Lanka. The whole country watched it with a lot of anticipation for understanding what reality TV show is are, but then they were so confused. What's going on here? They were taking people from the West, taking them to different parts of the world, and asking them to survive. Humankind has survived in those environments for many centuries. Cambodia is not Mars, China is not Pluto. These were places that human beings had survived. There was nothing great or fascinating or mind-blowing about this accomplishment. And for us, our people are like, they're giving a million dollars for that? <laughs> yeah, it's a little hot and there are a few bugs here and there, but what's up? I'll take that. So it seemed ridiculous. But the same reality is true for us who call ourselves believers. God didn't give the spirit of his precious son to you and me, anoint us with his spirit for us to survive through life. You don't need the spirit of the living God to survive through life. There are plenty of people who don't know Jesus who are just doing fine. They got to go about their business without any issue. He didn't anoint you or me for my little thing. He anointed us for something more than that, for more than ourselves. But sometimes Satan would just magnify the problems and the challenges and, and struggles that we have so big that we feel it's time to be timid. It's time to look down. Chosen people maybe someday today don't no, no feel like that. But that's not the truth, regardless of the circumstances. It's more than that. What has he called us for? I believe that the day I accepted Jesus Christ, he could have struck me with lightning and taken me to heaven because I am a walking liability. But he left me on earth for a purpose. So every day I want to live and say, Lord, what do you have for me? I'll do it. I don't have any agenda. What's your agenda? Help me to be aligned to that. If not, we're in this negotiation business of saying, Lord, here's my agenda. Try and get in line. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He ain't getting in line anywhere. So Lord, help me to be part of something far greater than just my selfish ambition. What have you broken my heart for, Lord? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my existence? And the joy that we find as we start responding, it's life-changing. We fall deeper in love with our Lord. We become more grateful for what he has done in our lives. And we start seeing the brokenness of the world and see God use us to be his love and light. God did not call the church of Jesus Christ to be the light of the church. He called us to be the light of the world. 
And sometimes it's easier for us to stay within where it's comfortable. But why did he anoint you? Where are you going next? That's what I started asking myself. And so I remember as a young man committing my life to Christ again, and I had the opportunity to come to the United States for higher education. And I received a scholarship, so I was able to study. And I said, Lord, whatever you want, no more excuses. Just give me an idea what my next step is. I felt God telling me I needed to go to Washington, D.C. And so I applied for an internship in Capitol Hill. Now, not a great idea for a brown man in post-9-11 United States. Like, it was not a good idea. But I applied, and I got selected. So here I was in the Capitol Hill working. And I was like, Lord, tell me, how can I serve? And one day I was praying, Lord, are you calling me to politics in Sri Lanka? Oh, you're calling me to ministry. What do you want me to do? How can I be obedient? I heard nothing. But the next day, when I went to work, my boss said, Prashant, I want you to come with me. There's a special movie premiering for all the senators and congressmen. I think you should come too. So he took me there, and the movie was Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce, the man who abolished slavery, led the movement for abolishment of slavery in the United Kingdom and as a result in the Western world. And I'm watching this life story, and at one point in the movie, Wilberforce is saying, Lord, is it politics or ministry? Politics or ministry? I said, Lord, I don't have an answer yet, but I know you're listening. And I remember becoming very emotional, and I started crying while the movie was going on. And I thought I heard the senator from Texas say, the boy who looks like a terrorist is repenting. <laughs> I remember saying, Lord, whatever it is, I know you're listening. And I continued to pray, continued to earnestly seek, Lord, what do you want me to do? Whatever it is. And I remember writing a vision down. What if there's a youth movement in our country to break these cycles of violence? What if we can bring reconciliation? Yes, I'm a minority, but how, what if I, we can start being part of the solution? What if we inspire a nation's youth to change this curse of violence? And we started writing it down. I remember sending it to my father, and he wrote back and said, very ambitious, but keep praying. I'm glad God is leading you this way. And then the next day, I had a call from the ambassador from Sri Lanka to the United States. He said, son, you're from Sri Lanka and working on Capitol Hill. I was really intrigued. I'd love to meet with you. So I met with him, and I'm trying to say, okay, let me try and impress this guy, because he might give me a recommendation letter for graduate school. He was not impressed. I kept talking, nothing. But then the Lord laid on my heart saying, tell him about Sri Lanka Unites. Tell him about the youth movement that you're I said, Lord, I haven't done anything yet. Tell him. So I remember telling him. And he was like, why didn't you tell me all this time? I almost felt like God told me, I told you. <laughs> and as I'm telling this guy, he says, this is amazing. You need to get off work tomorrow. You're coming with me. He took me to a thing called the National Prayer Breakfast that we meet weekly. And there were ambassadors, senators, and congressmen. Everyone was there. And he said, Prashant has something to share. I said, sir, I don't have anything to share. <laughs> don't embarrass me. I, I've not done anything. It's just a Word document on a computer that doesn't work well. So here I go sharing this vision with these people. There was pin drop silence. At the end of it, one of the gentlemen came, son, are you interested to know why we're so interested? I said, yes, please let me know. He said, we've been praying for your country, and we're realizing that the civil war will continue. It could be very bloody. And we've realized the only hope is that the young generation comes together and works on reconciliation and healing for your country. And here you show up, and you tell us that this is what you want to do. So no pressure. <laughs> I went back home, and we started the movement. A long story short, 
from every religion, from every ethnicity, young people started coming together. Today we are the largest youth movement in the country. Over 25,000 members in every district, in every part of the country. It's been 10 years and we haven't had a violent cycle and we're continuing to make sure that we can fight to make sure this country is not violent again. And while we started in Sri Lanka, we were recognized by the Commonwealth Heads of State saying that it's one of the top 20 grassroots movements in the Commonwealth region. And what we started here, who knew from small Sri Lanka, now in these 10 countries that we're engaging, including your own. Ordinary, unknown, minority of minorities, but a child of an extraordinary God. That is who we are. There is overwhelming brokenness in our world. There is overwhelming division and hate, poverty and injustice. There's overwhelming lack of understanding the joy of the glory of the gospel. So many people going to a Christless eternity. It's not time to get comfortable and sit tight. It's time to get uncomfortable and say, Lord, whatever you want, Lord, speak to me. I don't care how young or how old, how educated or uneducated, how gifted or not, how rich or poor, how sound of a lifestyle you had or not. If God called you, he didn't call the wrong number. He knew exactly who he was calling. You might tell me, Prashant, you don't know my circumstance. You don't know what I've been through. Well, God knows, and you're here. For some reason, he's having you hear this. And every pain, every challenge, every overwhelming circumstance that we've been through, our God is not going to let that be a full stop and the end of your story. He will convert all your pain in for his glory and to transform the lives of so many others in pain because you're the only one who understands them. Because you have been through that. There's a power and a grace upon your life. You're still standing. You might say, you may not know I've been through hell, but you're still standing. You're still standing because there's more work to be done. This is not about me. It's not about you, but the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When my atheist friends say, Prashant, if there's a good and loving God, why is there so much suffering and pain and injustice in this world? I tell them, because God anointed his church to be his hands and feet to be his love. Over two billion people across the world who know Jesus were not meant to be just Christian, but anointed by God to now be his light into a broken world. You are his plan. You are his anointed. And it's time we all respond. I love the Western world. I love how organized your countries are, how you know, innovative you are. Driving in your country is such a joy. It's, everything is so organized. Take a left here. Wow. It's, it's, it's beautiful. You can close your eyes and listen to Siri and you'll be fine. I don't do that, by the way, but you could. But, but in our countries, it's a survival of the fittest. You might as well be driving a tank in the war zone. You don't know where you're going. But everything is all set out. There's a clear plan. You know everything that will happen. But that's sometimes a little problematic. Because God doesn't give you an entire blueprint for the journey ahead. Sometimes we ask, God, give me a risk assessment on what you're calling me to do. God is not in the business of giving us risk assessment. He didn't ask for a risk assessment or you, neither did he ask on me when he died on the cross of Calvary. I'm a massive risk. But he died for me, he anointed me, he blessed me, he bought me so far, and I'm signing up for whatever he asked for me. It says... The psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. A lamp is only enough light for me to see the next step. And when I'm obedient to that step, I see the next step and the next step. 
It is that journey of obedience and humility and boldness that helps us live out this joyful journey of Christian lifestyles. It didn't say thy word is floodlights to my life. Bang! Everything is seen. Okay, I see it. I'm not signing in now. See, Lord. Because you don't have the grace and the capacity to take on the challenges 10 years ahead yet. But in the journey, he'll build you up. He'll make you stronger. And before you know, giants will tumble in Jesus' name. You are blessed to be living in this country. You have been blessed with a good foundation that your country has inherited. But it is up to this generation to now build on and not let go. There is so much work to be done. God has not done blessing the American church to be a blessing unto the nations. Let's not stop and talk and write history yet. We've got to make history. God's not done with you. God's not done with your church. God's not done with your family. God's not done with your children. It's just getting started. Because when Jesus is on the throne, as he always is, the best is yet to come. So let us go. What is he calling you for? What has he broken your heart for? God doesn't break your heart for certain things in your society and in your community to prove that you have a heart. He breaks your heart and my heart so that I, in obedience, will respond to him. However simple the first step may be, that I will respond to him. He doesn't need to prove that you have a heart. He made you. He knows you have a heart and a conscience. He wants us to now respond. How would you respond? Some of you have been saying no for a long time. God's been showing the same thing over and over again. And you're seeing, saying no. Hey, we've got one life. Let's stop being obedient. What is he calling to you now? Lord, I will go. Here I am. I'll go. I don't know why you picked me. I don't know why you wanted me. But I know that you're faithful. I'll give it my best shot. And if anything works out, it was all you. It was all you and all glory to you. I want to conclude with an illustration that we do back home and anywhere around the world we engage now. It's to show the power of how one step of obedience leads to more profound steps of change and transformation. One person's obedience inspires the other. And the kingdom of God works like a mustard seed where it's the beauty of anointed compound interest, <laughs> of us coming together to make a change. So would you please bring your index fingers in front of your face like this? And I want you to hit the index finger at each other as hard as you can. This is just one person saying, hey, no more excuses, Lord. Whatever you have, I'm trying. And you may feel these first steps are insignificant, or it's just you and nothing's changing. But as you do, then God starts doing when you put two fingers together. You can see the momentum's rising. Things that you thought that wouldn't change are beginning to change. And then three, you have three people committing, or three communities, or three parts of the country saying, hey, it's time. Let's move. Our God is still on the throne. And then if you put four fingers together, all four corners of your nation, four corners of the world, men and women of God saying, time is now. We are responding to God, and we start seeing transformative change. And then finally, when we come together, we start seeing the change that we thought would not happen, the giants that we thought would not come down. In Jesus' name, they do. And it happens from starting here, but they do. We worship a God who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's sovereign over all things and is sovereign even today. And he has loved you, called you by name, 
anointed you to go change the world in Jesus' name. Starting with your community, this state, this nation, and the ends of the earth. That is why we live. We were meant for God's purposes. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Would you pray with me? Let's really ask, Lord, we are so blessed to know you, have the privilege of experiencing your salvation. And Lord, then on top of that, to be anointed by your spirit, to be prophet, priest, and king to our world, to live a life beyond our own selfish ambition, to live for kingdom purposes, to live not for ourselves, but to be a blessing. Lord, to be the light of the world, and not just try to fight fires in my own life. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up young and old, men and women, rich and poor, from every background to stand tall now and say, God made me worthy. He loved me, and I will respond now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak to us even now. For people who have been giving excuses or really afraid or wondering how I could respond, or saying, is it too late, I'm too old. Whatever the questions are, I pray, Lord, that you would reassure them that you love them, that you have called them. You anointed them. They are here today. And may, Lord, our world never be the same because we have said, yes, Lord, here we are. We will go. In Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen.